Welcome everyone to our Course in Miracles daily reading conference call. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles original edition, which is published by our very dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, where if you mouse over the link at top for online edition, you'll see the link to read A Course in Miracles OE. There you'll also see an option to subscribe for a daily email with both our text reading and the lesson for the day from the Course in Miracles Society. My name is Lee Flynn. This call is Monday through Friday from 9.15 to 10.45 a.m. Eastern. Today we continue with Chapter 19, Beyond the Body, and Section 5, Obstacles to Peace. We'll be reading the first part of subsection D, the fourth obstacle, the fear of God. We're also mindful of today's lesson 222. God is with me. I live and breathe in him. Lori, what have you selected as an opening this morning? Well, this little poem from Khalil Gibran actually seemed perfect for the day. It's called Fear. It is said that before entering the sea, a river trembles with fear. She looks back at the path she has traveled from the peaks of the mountains, the long winding road crossing forests and villages, and in front of her she sees an ocean so vast that to enter there seems nothing more than to disappear forever. But there is no other way the river cannot go back. Nobody can go back. To go back is impossible in existence. The river needs to take the risk of entering the ocean because only then will fear disappear. Because that's where the river will know. It's not about disappearing into the ocean, but of becoming the ocean. God is with me. I live and breathe in him. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lori. That was perfect for yeah. today's reading. It was. Thank you, Lori. I thank Cole. Okay. Okay, with us and reading this morning, we have Robin Marie, Lemoyne, Fran, Lori, and Patricia. With us and listening, we have Karen, who else has joined us. So I'd like to read her to say good morning. Good morning. This is Diana, and I'm listening. Thank you. Morning, Diana. Certainly. Good morning. This is Ida, and I'm listening too. Thank you. Hi, Ida. Hi. Good morning. Uh, it's Roz and Micah, and I can read. Morning. Morning, guys. Hi, Roz. Thanks, Micah. I think that's everyone for now. You bet. And so we continue with Chapter 19. And Section 5, The Obstacle to Peace. This is D, the fourth obstacle, the fear of God. 
I'll remind that the first three were the desire to get rid of peace. The second is the belief the body is valuable for what it offers. And the third was the attraction of that which he calls um, death. This one, the fear of God. Paragraph 90 then. What would you see without the fear of death? What would you feel and think if death had held no attraction for you? Very simply, you would remember your father, the creator of life, the source of everything that lives, the father of the universe and of the universe of universes and of everything that lies even beyond them, would you remember? And as this memory rises in your mind, peace must still surmount a final obstacle, after which is salvation completed and the Son of God entirely restored to sanity. For here your world does end. Robin Marie, Subsection D, the fourth obstacle, the fear of God, 90. What would you see without the fear of death? What would you feel and think if death held no attraction for you? Very simply, you would remember your father, the creator of life, the source of everything that lives, the father of the universe and of the universe of universes and of everything that lies even beyond them, would you remember? And as this memory rises in your mind, peace must still surmount a final obstacle, after which is salvation completed, and the Son of God entirely restored to sanity. For here your world does end. 91. The fourth obstacle to be surmounted hangs like a heavy veil before the face of Christ. Yet as his face rises beyond it, shining with joy because he is in his Father's love, peace will lightly brush the veil aside and run to meet him and to join with him at last. For this dark veil, which seems to make the face of Christ himself like, a, like to a leper's and the bright rays of his Father's love, which light his face with glory, appear as streams of blood, fades in the blazing light beyond it when the fear of death is gone. Thank you, Robin Marie. Lemoyne. The fourth obstacle to be surmounted hangs like a heavy veil before the face of Christ. Yet as his face rises beyond it, shining with joy because he is in his Father's love, peace will lightly brush the veil aside and run to meet him and to join with him at last. For this dark veil, which seems to make the face of Christ himself like to a leper, and the bright rays of his Father's love, which light his face with glory, appear as streams of blood, 
fades in the blazing light beyond it when the fear of death is gone. This is the darkest veil, upheld by the belief in death and protected by its attraction. The dedication to death and to its sovereignty is but the solemn vow, the promise made in secret to the ego, never to lift this veil, not to approach it, nor even to suspect that it is there. This is the secret bargain made with the ego to keep what lies beyond the veil forever blotted out and unremembered. Here is your promise never to allow union here is your promise never to allow union to call you out of separation. The great amnesia in which the memory of God seems quite forgotten, the cleavage of yourself from you, the fear of God, the final step in your dissociation. Thank you, Lemoyne. Fran? 92. This is the darkest veil, upheld by the belief in death and protected by its attractions. <clears throat> the dedication to death and to its sovereignty is but the solemn vow, the promise made in secret to the ego never to lift this veil, not to approach it, nor even to suspect that it is there. This is the secret bargain made with the ego to keep what lies beyond the veil forever blotted out and unremembered. Here is your promise never to allow union to call you out of separation. The great amnesia in which the memory of God seems quite forgotten. The cleavage of yourself from you. The fear of God. The final step in your dissociation. 93. See how the belief in death would seem to, quote, save you? For if this is gone, what can you fear but life? It is the attraction of death that makes life seem to be ugly, cruel, and tyrannical. You are no more afraid of death than of the ego. These are your chosen friends, for in your secret alliance with them, you have agreed never to let the fear of God be lifted, so you could look upon the face of Christ and join him in his Father. Thank you, Fran. Lori? 93. See how the belief in death would seem to so-called save you? For if this is gone, what can you fear but life? It is the attraction of death that makes life seem to be ugly, cruel, and tyrannical. You are no more afraid of death than of the ego. These are your chosen friends. For in your secret alliance with them, you have agreed never to let the fear of God be lifted so you could look upon the face of Christ and join him in his Father. 94. Every obstacle that peace must flow across is surmounted in just the same way. The fear that raised it yields to the love beneath and so the fear is gone. And so it is with this. The desire to get rid of peace and drive the Holy Spirit from you fades in the presence of your quiet recognition that you love him. The exaltation of the body is given up in favor of the spirit 
which you love as you could never love the body. And the appeal of death is lost forever as love's attraction stirs and calls to you. From beyond each of the obstacles to love, love itself has called, and each has been surmounted by the power of the attraction of what lies beyond. Your wanting fear seemed to be holding them in place. Yet when you heard the voice of love beyond them, you answered and they disappeared. Thank you, Laurie. Patricia? 94. Every obstacle that peace must flow across is surmounted in just the same way. The fear that raises it yields to the love beneath. And so the fear is gone. And so it is with this. The desire to get rid of peace and drive the Holy Spirit from you fades, fades in the presence of the quiet recognition that you love him. The exaltation of the body is given up in favor of the spirit, which you love as you could never love the body. And the appeal of death is lost forever as love's attraction stirs and calls to you. From beyond each of the obstacles to love, love itself has called, and each has been surmounted by the power of the attraction of what lies beyond. Your wanting fear seemed to be holding them in place, yet when you heard the voice of love beyond them, you answered and they disappeared. Ninety-five. And now, and now, you stand in terror before what you swore never to look upon. Your eyes look down remembering your promise to your friends. The loveliness of sin, the delicate appeal of guilt, the holy waxen image of death, and the fear of vengeance of the ego you swore in blood not to desert. All rise, all rise and bid you not to raise your eyes. For you realize that if you look on this and let the veil be lifted, they will be gone forever. All of your friends 
your protectors, and your home will vanish. Nothing that you remember now will remember you. Nothing you remember now will you remember. Thank you, Patricia. Micah? Okay. Uh, 95. And now you stand in terror before what you swore never to look upon. Your eyes look down, remembering your promise to your so-called friend. The loveliness of sin, the delicate appeal of guilt, the holy waxen image of death, and the fear of vengeance of the ego you swore in blood not to desert, all rise and bid you not to raise your eyes. For you realize that if you look on this and let the veil be lifted, they will be gone forever. All of your so-called friends, your protectors, your home will vanish. Nothing that you remember now will you remember. 96. It seems to you the world will utterly abandon you if you but raise your eyes. Yet all that will occur is you will leave the world forever. This is the reestablishment of your will. Look upon it open-eyed and you will never more believe that you are at the mercy of things beyond you. Forces you cannot control and thoughts that come to you against your will. It is your will to look on this. No mad desire, no trivial impulse to forget again. No stab of fear nor the cold sweat of seeming death can stand against your will. But what attracts you from beyond the veil is also deep within you, unseparated from it, and completely one. Thank you, Micah. Do we have a new reader who would enjoy concluding with 96? Good morning, I'm in. Thanks, Jude. Good morning. It seems to you the world will utterly abandon you if you but raise your eyes. Yet all that will occur is you will leave the world forever. This is the reestablishment of your will. Look upon it, open-eyed, and you will never more believe that you are at the mercy of things beyond you, forces you cannot control, and thoughts that come to you against your will. It is your will to look on this. No mad desire, no trivial impulse to forget again. No stab of fear, nor the cold sweat of seeming death can stand against your will. 
For what attracts you from beyond the veil is also deep within you and separated from it and completely one. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. So in looking at uh, recapping this, uh, there was just too much, you guys. It's just too rich. It summarizes all of the prior three um, obstacles to peace. And, um, and I know you'll agree it would be wonderful to read right through um, and, uh, and really take it in again. So let me allow that any new readers like again as we move through these seven paragraphs. Uh, you know who you are. Excuse me, Lee. You've walked too far from your phone, I think. Um, so what was it? Can you hear me now? We got to not hear you. We can't hear you. Mm-mm. All right. Oh, dear. No. Worse. It's <laughs> getting worse. Are you there? Are we doing this better? Maybe. Is it okay? Battery loss? Or? No. No. All right. Mm. I'm going to switch. There you are. Now you're back. There you are. You're good. You're good. That's full surrender. I'm going to switch. No no clue what that was about. (laughs) Thank you. I have no clue. No clue what switched off or back on. Okay. So here's the deal. We're going to read through these straight through. Let me, if I may, ask for uh, new readers who'd like to be on that reading list. Anyone we've not heard from that would like to read a paragraph? It's speak now or forever hold. Anyone like to read that hasn't? Okay, so um, let's see. So we will have on the same word. And uh, this is what I'm okay, so it be Robin Marie, Lori, again. Lori. We're going again. We're losing you again. Yeah, we're losing you. Back. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, next guy's near me. Yeah, I know. Excuse me, we're not losing you. It's reverberating. Yeah, yeah. I think he's switching headsets. <clears throat> I think. <laughs> How are we doing now? Can we hear me? Yeah, Perfect. Now you sound good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're, we're gonna we're gonna read back through these and uh let me, let's see, Robin Marie, are you able to read? Yes. Okay. So will you read a chapter and title and paragraph 90, please? 
Okay. <laughs> Could you do that in the title? <laughs> I, I don't um, have I'll be time. happy to. Oh, sure. Okay. So we're, uh, we're at Chapter 19, Beyond the Body, Section 5, Obstacles to Peace, Section D, the fourth obstacle, the fear of God. Thanks, Robin Marie. 90. What would you see without the fear of death? What would you feel and think if death held no attraction for you? Very simply, you would remember your father the creator of life, the source of everything that lives, the father of the universe and of the universe of universes and of everything that lies even beyond them, would you remember? And as this memory rises in your mind, peace must still surmount a final obstacle after which is salvation completed and the Son of God entirely restored to sanity. For here, your world does end. <clears throat> Thank you, Robin Marie. Oh, we're going to read one, one apiece. Thank you, dear. Okay, good. Okay, thank you. Lemoyne. The fourth obstacle to be surmounted hangs like a heavy veil before the face of Christ. Yet as his face rises beyond it, shining with joy, because he is in his Father's love, peace will lightly brush the veil aside and run to meet him and to join with him at last. For this dark veil, which seems to make the face of Christ himself like to a leper, and the bright rays of his Father's love, which light his face with glory, appear as streams of blood, fades in the blazing light beyond it when the fear of death is gone. Thank you, Lemoyne. Fran. This is the darkest veil, <clears throat> upheld by the belief in death and protected by its attraction. The dedication to death and to its sovereignty is but the solemn vow, the promise made in secret to the ego never to lift this veil, not to approach it, nor even to suspect that it is there. This is the secret bargain made with the ego to keep what lies beyond the veil forever blotted out and unremembered. Here is your promise never to allow union to call you out of separation, the great amnesia in which the memory of God seems quite forgotten, the cleavage of yourself from you, the fear of God, the final step in your dissociation. Thank you, Fran. Lori? See how the belief in death would seem to call, so-called save you. For if this is gone, what can you fear but life? It is the attraction of death that makes life seem to be ugly, cruel, and tyrannical. You are no more afraid of death than of the ego. These are your chosen friends. For in your secret alliance with them, you have agreed never to let the fear of God be lifted, 
so you could look upon the face of Christ and join him in his Father. Thank you, Laurie. Patricia? 94. Every obstacle that peace must flow must flow across in surmounting... Excuse me. Every obstacle that peace must flow across is surmounted in just the same way. The fear that raised it yield to the love beneath. And so the fear is gone. And so it is with this. The desire to get rid of peace and drive the Holy Spirit from you fades. Fades in the presence of the quiet recognition that you love him. The exaltation of the body is given up in favor of the spirit which you love as you could never love the body. And the appeal of death is lost forever as love's attraction stirs and calls to you from beyond each of the obstacles to love, love itself has called and each has been surmounted by the power of the attraction of what lies beyond. Your wanting fear seemed to be holding them in place, yet when you heard the voice of love beyond them, you answered, and they disappeared. Thank you, Patricia. Micah? Okay. Uh, 95. And now you stand in terror before what you swore never to look upon. Your eyes look down, remembering your promise to your so-called friend. The loveliness of sin, the delicate appeal of guilt, the holy waxen image of death, and the fear of vengeance of the ego you swore in blood not to desert will rise and bid you not to raise your eyes. For you realize that if you look on this, and let the veil be lifted, they will be gone forever. All your so-called friends, your protectors, your home will vanish. Nothing that you remember now will you remember. Thank you, Micah. And Judy. Nothing that you remember now will you remember. It seems to you the world will utterly abandon you if you but raise your eyes. Yet all that will occur is you will leave the world forever. This is the reestablishment of your will. 
look upon it open-eyed, and you will never more believe that you are at the mercy of things beyond you, forces you cannot control, and thoughts that come to you against your will. It is your will to look on this. No mad desire, no trivial impulse to forget again, no stabs of fear, nor the cold sweat of seeming death can stand against your will for what attracts you from beyond the veil is also deep within you, unseparated from it, and completely one. Hooey. <laughs> ah, thank you, Judy. Thank you. From that last paragraph, then, it seems to you the world will utterly abandon you if you but raise your eyes. Yet all that will occur is you will leave the world forever. This is the reestablishment of your will. No mad desire, no trivial impulse to forget again, no stab of fear, nor the cold sweat of seeming death can stand against your will. For what attracts you from beyond the veil is also deep within you, unseparated from it and completely one. Amen. Thanks, my friends. The floor is open. Thanks, everybody who read and all your patience uh, for whatever it was bothering Lee's, you know, microphone or whatever it was. I'm complete. <laughs> yes, thanks here, too. Thanks, Ida. But I just want to say one thing. I guess um, the fear of God is the ego's covenant to keep God hidden. I think that's what it means. I'm complete. Boy, that's it in a nutshell. Thanks, Karen. We heard you clearly. Thank you, Karen. What a great way to put that. Um, I think I heard you correctly. The fear of God is the ego's covenant. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Um, I keep the mm. phone completely muted so I don't accidentally unmute so. Yes. Yes. That's what I thought. I mean, this morning when I first said to this part, I wasn't, I wasn't clear what it meant. But um, Lori's poem really helped because they made the distinction between my ego mind and my holy mind very clear to me. You know, the holy mind wants to be one with the ocean, but the but the little river mind wants to is afraid. And and the the ego has has made this commitment so strong inside me. It's just like my attraction to guilt, my attraction to numbing out, he said. Um, to resist life, to be one with my body, all those things, and and not um, 
it is a covenant with the ego to never uh, lift the veil and see the truth. I'm complete. Thank you. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Thanks, Karen. Very good. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Karen. Well, this is Ida. Good morning. Um, and once again, this is a hard-hitting um, section here where he talks about, you know, this is the darkest veil upheld by the belief in death and protected by its attraction. The dedication to death and, and its sovereignty is but the solemn vow. The promise made in secret to the ego never to lift this veil, not to approach it, nor even to suspect that it is there. And he goes on from there with strong words, you know. And I think that, you know, he obviously knows us to the core. He knows the ego to the core. But I think also that he knows himself to the core beyond time. In other words, he has experienced this in his past, Mm -hmm. whether that's a thousand, a million, whatever, lifetimes or years. In the past, he knows it from himself as well, you know, what was himself in the past as well as knowing all of the rest of us as Mm -hmm. aspects of the Son of God, which is all one with him. So Mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to make that mention. Thanks. Mm -hmm. I'm complete. Boy, I so agree. That's a good way to put that. Thanks, Ida. Thank you, Ida. Thank you, Ida. Thanks, Ida. When the realization comes that we are one, it's always with and through the vision of the Christ um, as the one Son. And Ooh. That sounds nasty. Bless you. Someone's uh, someone's not on mute, please. Oh. Um, the language that he uses in regards to um, seeing the flesh, the exaltation of the body, and the and the and the pointed pointedness of um, the strength of our belief, the ego's belief in the flesh is what we've made ourselves is isn't should be a thing of fear and isn't should be a thing of sin and isn't should be a, a thing of guilt and fear and it's like no no <laughs> no <laughs> that we cannot die is is obvious if you accept if I accept, excuse me, if I accept the fact that I am spirit and purely mind in the mind of God is one, what can hurt me? What can kill me? How can I possibly die? It's an impossibility. They're all impossibilities. There's no reason for attack. There's no reason for guilt. There's no reason for punishment. There's no reason for vengeance. All of these egoic things 
concepts of who we think we've made ourselves to be become totally meaningless. And ergo, we're all completely innocent, completely innocent, only in our mistaken fixed beliefs that what we have made of ourselves is the truth, that what we have made, how we have made ourselves into belief by the fixed belief that we are bodies has been, has actually occurred. Now, whether or not we want to feel our bodies as our reality still remains a part of our free will. We can enjoy the bodies. He's not going to deny us the pleasure of the icing on the cupcake, but this is not, we are not limited to this mistaken perception of ourselves. Our holy self says one mind, purely in spirit and the service of spirit, helps us to recognize our happiness as being love and giving love is the truth of who we are. And there is no fear in love. This is just awesome stuff. I love the Course. <laughs> I love God as He created us. And in one in joy and spirit, I celebrate this, learning this and recognizing it and realizing it's the truth of who we are. I am complete. Thank you, one and all. Really nice, Judy. Thanks for walking us right to the top of the hour here. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. And happily, we arrive at a point where um, Fran's able to introduce us to today's lesson. And um, how's that power going on the phone there, Fran? Still got some. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice allocating today. All right. Well, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, everybody. We are now in the second part of the workbook. And we, um, we do themes and lessons. The theme today is forgiveness. Lesson is Lesson 222. So I will read just two little paragraphs from the introduction. Words will mean little now. We use them, but as guides on which we do not now depend. For now we seek direct experience of truth alone. The lessons which remain are merely introductions to the times in which we leave the world of pain and go to enter peace. Now we begin to reach the goal this course has set and find the end toward which our practicing was geared. Now we attempt to let the exercise be merely a beginning, for we wait in quiet expectation for our God and Father. He has promised he will take the final step. So I'll go over to the theme now. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness recognizes what you thought your brother did to you has not occurred. It does not pardon sins and make them real. It seems there sees there was no sin, and in this view are all your sins forgiven. What is sin except the false idea about God's Son? Forgiveness merely sees its falsity and therefore lets it go. What then is free to take its place is now the will of God. An unforgiving thought is one which makes the judgment that it will not raise to doubt, 
although it is not true. The mind is closed and will not be released. An unforgiving thought does many things. In frantic action, it pursues its goal, twisting and overturning what it sees as interfering with its chosen path. It sets about its furious attempts to smash reality without concern for anything that would appear to pose a contradiction to its point of view. Forgiveness, on the other hand, is still and quietly does nothing. It merely looks and waits and judges not. He who would not forgive must judge, for he must justify his failure to forgive. But he who would forgive himself must learn to welcome truth exactly as it is. Do nothing then, and let forgiveness show you what to do through him who is your guide, your savior and defender, strong in hope and certain of your ultimate success. He has forgiven you already, for such is his function given him by God. Now must you share his function and forgive whom he has saved, whose sinlessness he sees and whom he honors as the Son of God. And we'll go to lesson 222. <clears throat> God is with me. I live and breathe in him. God is with me. He is my source of life, the life within, the air I breathe, the food by which I am sustained, the water which renews and cleanses me. He is my home, wherein I live and move, the spirit which directs my actions, offers me its thoughts, and guarantees my safety from all pain. He covers me with kindness and with care and holds in love the sun he shines upon, who also shines on him. How still is he who knows the truth of what he speaks today? Father, we have no words except your name upon our lips and in our minds as we come quietly into your presence now and ask to rest with you in peace a while. And we'll take a moment and reflect on this. Lesson 222. God is with me. I live and breathe in him. Father, we have no words except your name upon our lips and in our minds as we come quietly into your presence now and ask to rest with you in peace a while. Lesson 222, God is with me. I live and breathe in him. Amen. Amen. Wonderful, Fran. Thank you. 
Thank you so much, friend. Welcome, oh, man. Thank you. Thank you. Lee, do you know uh, how the title of that lesson goes in the FIP uh, edition? I know it's different. Um, and do you know? No, I don't. All right. Um, Judy, do you have your book? Is your lesson title 222? Sure do. Let me just find the page. 2.22 says, God, God is with me. I live and move in him. Oh, live and move in him? Okay, just out of curiosity. Thanks, so. Is that different? It, yeah, it this... wouldn't be what was initially written. Um, what she initially written would be, I live and breathe in him. I live and breathe in him. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Sure. Thank you, Ida. I'm not sure Ida was complete just yet, Judy. I just wondered. Oh, forgive um, me. Thank you. Your good intuition, um, Lee. You're right. Um, was something I was going to say before the uh, before the lesson, and it somehow seems to fit in with I move and breathe and I <laughs> what we were just talking about. Um, but because we mentioned that it's we're all in the mind of God, and that was known before, you know, that was known on our on Earth before, um, even before Helen started uh, um, channeling Jesus in the sixties. Um, one example is um, when Thornton Wilder wrote the play um, "Our Town," which I think came out in the forties. Um, although he may have started writing it before then, um, 1940s, of course. Um, and in one scene of the play, there's a couple of children, a boy and a girl, are addressing a letter or making the return address or something like that, and they're starting out with writing, you know, where they are, Rover's Corners, and then they keep going up and up and up through, you know, up through the town, through the state, through through our country and through the world and then through, you know, the, the solar system and the, I think the galaxy. And then, and they finally end it with the mind of God, that's where all of it is. And, um, you know, if that one guy, that playwright said it, that other people knew it too. Of course, I'm not saying we didn't need A Course in Miracles. We did. <laughs> Because many more millions of people like us and and all the rest of the people that have studied it since then and are studying it now and will in the future obviously needed to hear a much more comprehensive statement than just the mind of God. But it's a good start, and um, just thought you might be interested to hear that. Thanks. I'm complete. Thank you, Ida. Thank you, Ida. It is so wonderful to thank know. Thank you, Ida. Yes, thank you, Ida. It reminds me of 
when I was at the Center for Spiritual Living this Sunday, and there was a man who went back to a philosopher through the hieroglyphics in Egypt who talked about God as being one source and we being all a part of it. It is interesting to realize that this is an ageless idea. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Robert Marie. Thanks, Robert Marie. Thanks for that. Judy. Judy, are you there? I'm I'm sorry. I thought I was on mute. (laughs) So, um... It's really, um... Something I've given so much contemplation of the ego's investment of being flesh in in the world, naturally becoming the environment that I think I exist in as objects to the ego itself, that everything in the world is used as a purpose for the ego in its survival and its in its all its relationships and how completely differently the spirit sees everything as itself and the freedom the freedom from everything at the same time it's to- totally devoted in love to everything and one with everything. But at the same time, it allows everything just to be what it is. And how so completely different <laughs> these two points of view are is just phenom- that word phenomenal and phenomenology, you know, that that study of phenomenology, what appears to to be is, is simply what our will is. And to recognize the power of the mind that cre- creates an image of myself as a body and then the world to be in an environment for it to be in. The power of the mind that God has given us that is our free will to create. And the, it's just, it's just so awesome and wonderful and just completely in, incredible even to imagine the power of our imaginations. I'm just, I'm reeling with it this morning, gang. And thank you all for being here. Amen. Nice. Thanks, Judy. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. Um, it's Karen again, and I just had one little itty-bitty thought. Um, something that didn't process earlier when I read it is that what overcomes the fear of God is the love. And, you know, a lot of gurus and spiritual teachers 
that's how they, they get you. You know, they hook you because you feel the love, the love that you've never felt in your whole life, that, that um, divine love, the love of God. And at that point, everything else falls away, all the fear of God, all the resistance to God. And that's what it was talking about in our reading today, I think. I'm complete. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. And and so uh, I, what I think I heard you featuring was that love will overcome everything that is one version or another of the attraction of fear. And as a side note, you're saying this is how gurus hook you is to uh, like appropriate the onset of that experience of divine love and uh, and as though they're taking ownership of it and persuading followers that uh, they become the avenue to that love. Is, is that what you were saying? I'm sorry. Yes, that's what I was saying. I was just saying that, you know, the, the point that the reading was making is that that love, that divine love, the sweetness of it is what breaks this, um, you know, this mesmerized, ego reality and overcomes all the fear but you said it correctly yes thank you i'm complete oh good all right thanks yeah thanks love is god love is the glue thank you karen hey micah thanks mary oh hey there well, I, I had a nice quote that, I, that, for me, where Karen's share took me to was how the the love of God, the love for God, and the love of God will dissolve any kind of resistance. And it, um, and it reminded me, uh, this is a quote, kind of interesting, this is a perfect quote, but I was meditating on this this morning from A Course in Miracles, and it says, uh, it's about that uh, unity. You know, he highlights unity there in um, paragraph 92, where he says, uh, here is your promise never to allow union to call you out of separation. And that illusion of separation from each other and from God. And uh, so the quote is... Um, the Holy Spirit's interpretation of fear does dispel it, or the awareness of truth cannot be denied. Thus does the Holy Spirit replace fear with love and translate error into truth. And this will you learn of him, I mean, thus, and thus will you learn of him how to replace your dream of separation with the fact of unity for the separation is only the denial of union and correctly interpreted attest to your eternal knowledge that union is true and that whole quote centers around this pivotal shift here thus does the Holy Spirit replace fear with love and translate error into truth. 
and that then thus will you learn of him how to replace your dream of separation with the fact of unity. And uh, let's see, there was another unity quote. Uh, let's see. Before you before you move on, do you mind repeating the last line of that quote as well? Um, so so if we if if I start with the idea thus, will um, the fear of separation be overcome by the fact of union, and then at the end of that quote you just offered was another really perfect formulation. Um, oh, okay. About the separation. Okay, uh, so I'll just go up a little bit. And thus will you learn of him how to replace your dream of separation with the fact of unity. For the separation is only the denial of union and correctly interpreted attests to your eternal knowledge that only union is true. How about that? The separation is only your denial of union. I just, I love that. Um, thanks, thanks for letting me interrupt. Micah, please continue. <laughs> okay. Well, I was just impressed how, how this unity is so, like Judy was highlighting it when she was mentioning like this one, this mind, this one mind. And the scale that, that Jesus was uh, in that first paragraph that's touching on it, where he's saying, um, you would remember your father, the creator of life, the source of everything that lives, the father of the universe and the universe of universes, and of everything that lies even beyond them, would you remember? Uh, and here is a quote from, um, from the course of Love that says, uh, there is only one mind, just as there is only one will. And when I meditate on that, there's only one mind and only one will. Boy, separation really starts to look more and more transparent. And um, let's see, there was another thing that I wanted to share. The... Uh, here we are. This is what you have... This is from A Course of Love. This is what you have made this world for, to prove your separate existence in a world apart from your Creator. This world does not exist, and you do not exist apart from your Creator. And uh, let's see, there's one more. Um, What you projected and named thousands of other things, you separated from yourself only in time and space. In time and space, your projections became separate and other than you. This is what the world of time and space is a world that is a projection that you have made, a world that has the shape and form, the character and value, the image and meaning that you would give it. This is your universe. 
And so when, when Jesus is talking about... Um, Whose quote was that, Micah? Uh, Where, was sorry, that oh, that, Where was that quoted uh, from? Where was that quoted from? Course of Love, and Day 39. Thank you. And, oh, you betcha. Uh, so when he, Jesus is saying... Uh, let me see if I can find it. Uh... Oh, I was trying trying to find where he talks about the world coming to an end. I think it's here in 96, but it was earlier too. Yet all that will occur is you will leave this world forever. And, and, uh, and let's see, what was the other mention? I think it was, oh, and then in paragraph 90, for here your world does end. And I don't see it as the end of the dream of the world. It's just that my identification in it as who I think I am as a small individuated identity in separation is left. And, that, and the movement is back into that mind that Judy highlighted and the scale of that mind that Jesus brought to our attention in the first paragraph. And it kind of reminds me of how uh, we're helping each other get familiar with becoming larger and larger in, in the truth of our being, what our being actually is. And it's so important to get more and more comfortable with the truth of what we are. And Jesus says in The Course of Miracles, and this, this is one of my favorite quotes. I used to start every day with this because it brought a mirror up to where I was inside myself, in my own being. But he says, your practice must therefore rest upon your willingness to let all, all littleness go. The instant in which magnitude dawns upon you is but as far away as your desire for it. As long as you desire it not and cherish littleness instead, by so much is it far from you. By so much as you want it, will you bring it nearer. And so it's really beautiful what we're doing, helping each other as we mention our magnitude and we read it from Jesus's words and each other speaks of it. You know how he says, you know, first you dream of peace and then you awaken to it. We're, we're going into the self and, and we kind of have to, you know, there's a lot of old habits. There's a lot of resistance because it's such a different world. Um, and uh, but we're encouraging each other to turn the lens in that direction, and then we'll first dream a peace and then awaken to it. Anyway, that's it. Thanks. Thank you, Micah. Well, that's a wonderful way. Um, oh, it's Leah. I'm anxious to jump in, but I want to allow everyone to thank you. That was terrific. Yes, Thank you, Thank you so much. Beautiful. To bring it back to magnitude and littleness, isn't that everything? Everything about everything about the 
the obstacles to peace is one or another, well, there's one unmuted line right this moment. Um, everything about magnitude or littleness is about um, the consequence of this um, array of the obstacles to peace. If he can identify for me that the ego is opposed to my peace because it's invested in littleness and what accompanies magnitude is peace. It's the drama and the, and the you know, a range of emotions that the absence of peace affords the ego that allows the ego to believe that it is surfing um, on, a, on an edge of peril and only by its wit and its pluck and its luck can the ego guide me from one day to the next into something uh, affording some sense of safety or joy or love. The ego says, only I save you from a perilous world where peace is fully absent. And remember the quote that says, the ego will tell you that without the ego, all would be chaos. But I assure you, he says, without the ego, all would be love. Is that the quote, Laurie? Without the ego, all would be mm, love, I think. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, so here's, here's the ego, all about littleness, all about littleness. And the reason I'm so excited to speak is in these seven paragraphs, he recaps all of the four um, obstacles to peace. He does that uh, in the first several paragraphs of this section. What would you see without the fear of death? What would you feel and think if death held no attraction for you? Very simply, you would remember your father. You would remember the creator of life, the source of everything that lives, the father of the universe and of the universe of universes, the father of everything that lies even beyond them, would you remember? How much do I believe that's true? How much do I allow that there may be a direct experience awaiting me that he can describe as the memory of God and the memory of my identity? What would I think might happen to the world as I've come to know it at ego's tutelage if I were to fully remember God? I don't have to wonder he describes it um, in detail across these seven paragraphs. He describes in detail what the world would look like in magnitude and how it would be that I'm fearful the world would abandon me if I look at God. But all that would happen, he says, is that I will walk out of this world. I'll leave the ego's world behind because its premises will not be anything any longer that has any, um, that calls on any fidelity from me. I will no longer be able to buy into or believe the premises that the ego had put forth about the nature of the world that made me rely so heavily on the ego as my guide and protector. 
The ego is a perfect protector from the version of the world the ego is responsible for framing. The version of the world the ego is responsible for persuading me is the only world I can relate to. This other world, the one that was revealed to me, this world of unity and magnitude, this world of abiding love, radiating everywhere and in everything, absent in nothing and nowhere, that other world is the world that each of these obstacles to peace had been responsible for blinding me to. The obstacles to peace prevent my seeing the world as it is in truth, prevent my knowing my identity, prevent this memory of God, the creator of life, the source of everything that lives, father of the universe. I need be very careful about thinking I understand the Course so well that I get to a portion to anything I behold, whether it exists in truth or it doesn't exist in truth, whether it's dream or reality. I need be very careful about supposing the Course is arming me or deputizing me to point at anything and say this doesn't exist and that doesn't exist. The Course does one thing for me. It says, you have an ego and you have this big juicy heart that you can count upon to determine what everything means and which is it you'll be relying on. Will it be the ego or what the Holy Spirit wants to know and remind me of rather that my heart would reveal about the truth of what I behold? even of the most challenging things and relationships. These obstacles to peace, the desire to get rid of peace because I'm so swept up in the fascination of what guilt affords me by way of being able to blame others for my, for my ill feelings and my mental emotional suffering and anguish. I look to blame it's guilt that allows me to blame, and peace would remove my belief in guilt. Where peace arises, guilt goes out the window. Condemnation goes out the window. I join with what I regard in peace. I can't stand off from it in judgment. And my investment in guilt and condemnation keeps peace at bay. So does this attraction for death this attraction for life's alternative, life being juicy and grand, the ego trying to persuade me that I prefer what's safe and small and known to me, that I shouldn't let the truth upset my apple cart and turn my life on its head because the ego says, who knows what's on the other side of that kind of tumult? And that kind of change. Let me, it says, protect you from that order of the unknown. And I'll keep managing to protect you the way I have. Haven't I done a pretty good job, says the ego? What is all this talk of magnitude and unity? When I've led you to believe 
Life is something manageable and relatively happy. Let me tend to you. The attraction and at the same time fear of death, the attraction of life's alternative that the ego is responsible for, standing in the way of peace. The belief that the body, the way I presently relate to it, offers me something that would go away if I were to see the body differently. That I could use and enjoy the body as a separation device. And that all the ways that I enjoy the body as a separation device could be taken from me if I suddenly knew of unity and related to the body differently. The fear of having what I most enjoy about the body taken from me stands in the way of peace. And this fear of God, the fear of the memory of God, the fear of looking on God, partially because in my belief in condemnation and in my belief of what love costs me by way of sacrifice, all my love in my life, he says, is encumbered by the feeling that love costs me, that I need bargain for the love that I get from others. And so this great love that I might get from God would cost me in sacrifice a much greater measure than any sacrifice my human loves have cost me. The fear of the sacrifice involved in love of God and the fear of his wrath because those that I condemn, I feel wrathful toward. So both the fear of his wrath and the fear of the immensity of his love and what it would cost keep God at bay. All of those things begin to fall like, like um, they just they fall like dominoes. When I invite Holy Spirit, begin to introduce me to what's on the other side of this fear, and He walks through it so perfectly. When I tried to come up with a recap for this seven paragraphs, it was impossible because each paragraph frames perfectly the premises upon which the ego's world stands and then how perfectly those premises fall one after another at the onset of my genuine welcome of peace, my willingness to look beyond the veil, my willingness to no longer hold to this covenant I've made. Thanks, Karen. This covenant I've made with the ego never to look at what the ego has blinded me to. Am I willing to look beyond what the ego has told me is true and to know that on the other side of that veil is love and is joy and is safety and is ease and is peace and is belonging and is a direct experience of unity and of innocence the direct experience of holiness as the nature and basis for every breath I take and everything I'll ever behold or encounter, all holiness, all love, all on the other side of that veil, 
all on the other side of this world of ego that he persuades me I'm capable of walking free from. It isn't that the world will abandon me. It's that in sight of all that's true, I will abandon the world that the ego has framed as though the only one. And I'll come to know everything as it is in truth. And as love would direct that I come to know it. As God so wishes that I accept it as his holy gift to me. Thanks, everyone. I'm complete. Oh, that, that was, was great. Yeah. Thank you so much, Thank Lee. You. Thank you so much, Lee. Thank you. Thank you. I can envision that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Thanks, Mary. <laughs> that explains everything, Lee. Thank you so much. Oh, uh, Thank you, Ross. These seven paragraphs, guys, mm, I'm complete. They, they pack in a lot, don't they? <laughs> and encouragement to read them over and over and really, really get them deep inside. Thank you, Lee. This what I had in mind. Thanks, Robin Marie. This is Lori. And thanks, Lee. Thanks for everyone for your shares this morning. And I felt that same way uh, with each one of these paragraphs. They contained an invitation for me to look really, really honestly, fearlessly at what's being offered. And when I did, I, I noticed something. Even in that first one in 91, this fourth obstacle, the fear of God, the veil before the face of Christ, the joy he is in in his Father's love. I notice there it says, not you will brush aside this veil, but peace will brush aside this veil. And you can rush to meet him and join with him at last. And, and throughout, throughout these paragraphs, there's the assurance that all this is being done, not by me, but by holiness. And so when I, um, when I, when I reread it, I think I read it three or four times this morning, when I reread it, I asked myself in each paragraph, what about the so-called me? What about the so-called me? And that's, that's the invitation. What about the so-called me? Is there a so-called me? Hmm. I think probably, um, probably that answer waits in the end for all of us. And um, and that's why I love that 
poem this morning because it ended the way it ended is because the river needs to take the risk of entering the ocean because only then will fear disappear because that's where the river will know it's not about disappearing into the ocean but of becoming the ocean I read um, an account one time of a lady's holy instant and she described it so beautifully that holy instant and and she summed it up with the knowledge that I am the Holy Spirit I am the Holy Spirit isn't that a shocking thing to hear one's mouth say I am the Holy Spirit but that's um to me that's the invitation of um, of letting go this fear of life it really is the fear of life the so-called fear of God I love part two of the workbook uh, precisely because it opens with the invitation that we seek a direct experience of truth waking up <laughs> for me um, was uh, I'll tell you I described it like this to somebody one time and you know we don't ever know for me I never know what I contain until in dialogue um, what I contain is given the invitation to come out but um, one time somebody said what is that like and I said it's like waking up in the middle of the ocean hanging on to a pool noodle when you realize that you thought the pool noodle is what saved you <laughs> when in point of fact relaxing into the ocean there's no need whatsoever of a pool noodle now we seek a direct experience of truth it only asks it only asks my willingness it only asks my willingness to let peace brush aside the veil and when let's see how can I talk about this um, you know when fear is really uh, profound and the ego assures us all would be chaos without it when fear is really profound there comes this um, this grasping out of lack the feeling that nothing here is going to save me and when it gets really profound denial kicks in and the thing about denial is we never know we're doing it it wouldn't be denial if it weren't for the fact that fear called upon it and that's what that's what ego mind did with God in the presence of all that fear it denied and so that's how he can say love's attraction is love calling to itself 
and the recognition is contained in it that this call is the call of one's own capital S self where is the ego there well it doesn't exist if God is love and I am love and I'm living love where is the ego then all of that happens as a consequence of being willing to um, yield just be willing to yield and let the veil be lifted peace will brush it aside this is the reestablishment of your will he says in 96 we wouldn't have come this far in this work he says you wouldn't have come this far if you didn't in some dim way recognize this is your will that's why the river can't go backwards because we're eternally fixed in God and we forgot it and we forgot it I'll tell you what my whole instant was like it was like this I opened a box of letters that talked to me of love of the eternal loving relationship between the Creator and the created where nothing ever disturbed this beautiful love and after that holy instant I felt as though <laughs> I found the mailbox I found the mailbox where all my love letters are where my soul wrote its declarations of love of my father my soul did that wrote all these beautiful love letters of everything we share everything we want to extend and be in this beautiful relationship we share and for a while I I ventured out in this place alone forgetting where the mailbox was but when I allow this direct experience of truth that is the invitation of every one of these lessons in the second half of this workbook God is with me I live and breathe in him today when I allow myself to remember it's an allowance you see it's an allowance of myself to remember it says in this work you denied me because you love me you can't deny something unless you first knew it you see we come from love and we venture for a while here while forgetting we are love but once we find this mailbox the voice of the Holy Spirit and allow the love to speak we realize oh my god it's speaking my own words I can hear it and it sounds like my voice and you know at once you recognize it at once because the denial disappears and that's what this adventure was that's all it was a denial of the joy of living the joy of sharing that love with the father
when I remember that. Oh, fear of life is gone. Fear of God is fear of life, you see. And I realized that when um, when he said, find your people, <laughs> it was my voice saying, I need to find my people. <laughs> and something in me said, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. And he said, you were ready when you got in the boat. <laughs> you know, this love boat that we sail on, not understanding we're sailing on a river of love, with love, for love. Discovering that disappearing into the ocean is about becoming the ocean. Oh, there's so many beautiful places to end this call, but I think um, I think I want to go here. Let me see if I can find the tab that I opened. How about this? Denial of God. You do not realize how much you have denied yourself and how much God and his love would not have it so. Yet, he would not interfere with you because he would not know his son if he were not free. To interfere with you would be to attack himself and God is not insane. When you denied him, you were insane. <laughs> would you have him share your insanity? God will never cease to love his son and his son will never cease to love him. That was the condition of his son's creation fixed forever in the mind of God. To know this is sanity. To know this is to know your capitalist self. To deny it is insanity. God gave himself to you in your creation and his gifts are eternal. Would you deny yourself to him? And so, we recognize we are in the ocean. And the letters we wrote to ourselves are still within our soul. And we can go there and open them anytime we like. And remember that we never left our Father, nor did He ever leave us. I'm complete. <laughs> Oh, so beautiful. Thank you, Lori. Magnificent. You know, I wanted to say that your, the poem you read this morning and your metaphor of the river and the ocean is so much like what the Tibetans talk about in meditation. And I wanted to read something from the Tibetan book of Living and Dying about... Um, Instructions on Meditation. And uh, here's a part of it. It's, in the ancient meditation instructions, it is said at the beginning, thoughts will arrive one on top of each other, uninterrupted like a steep mountain waterfall. Gradually, as you perfect meditation, med meditation thoughts become like the water in a deep, narrow gorge then a great river, slowly winding its way down to the sea. And finally, the mind becomes like a still and placid ocean, 
ruffled by only the occasional ripple and waves. Just as the ocean has waves or the sun has rays, so the mind's own radiance is its thoughts and emotions. The ocean has waves, yet the ocean is not particularly disturbed by them. The waves are the very nature of the ocean. Waves will rise, but where do they go? Back to the ocean. And where do the waves come from? The ocean. In the same manner, thoughts and emotions are the radiance and expression of the very nature of the mind. They rise from the mind, but where do they dissolve? Back into the mind. Whatever rises, do not see it as a particular problem. If you do not impulsively react, if you are only patient, it will once again settle into its essential nature. And anyway, it's the same idea where they talk about, and I can't find it right away in this book, that we are like the river. And when the river meets the ocean, the ocean is the mother, and then we melt into it. That is who we are. And it's the same thing we're talking about here. And it's very inspiring that Rumi (laughs) was talking about it as well. I just wanted to share that. I'm complete. Thank you. It was a beautiful reading. Thanks for reminding us of that universal nature of what we're studying. Thank you, Roz. Thank you, Roz. Thank Thank you, you, everyone. Ida, um, did I cut you off, dear? No, you didn't. Thank you, Lee. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Well, it's been a great call. Thanks, everyone. All who read, everyone here and listening, all who shared. Um, And um, we uh, deeply appreciate your love and your commitment to this community and, and this walk that we're enjoying together every morning. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. And everyone.